you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, All the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, 
and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. G'day, City on a Hill. So good to be back with you. Hey, wherever you're tuning in from right now, why don't we start together as we come before God's Word. Let's pray. Almighty God, well, today we come to a text that we've just heard includes showing yourself uh, to Moses as your glory descended and passed by. And so Lord, we pray that would you come now and show us your glory in this passage. As Moses cried out to you, Lord, please show us your glory. And while we come to you as your people physically separated, would you come and show yourself to each one of us, wherever we are. Bless us with your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the service this week, I returned from a couple of weeks of staycation with the family. Uh, and initially we had big plans uh, to go into state, uh, but holidays for the last couple of years have been a little, little bit like that, haven't they? Continually disrupted. Uh, and so I think the furthest that I got in these holidays was Knox Shopping Centre. Knox Shopping Centre, it was pretty good, but not uh, interstate at all. Uh, and so my staycation was full of a lot of Survivor Australia and a lot of the Olympics, which were a gift during lockdown five and six. But what the staycation did allow me to experience more of is time with my kids. Uh, I've got a five-year-old boy, Axel, and a two-year-old girl, Aria. And having that time uninterrupted, uh, detached from uh, busyness, we were able to eat donuts together, we were able to play together, uh, and it created, as you can imagine, it would, a, a closeness and an intimacy, a connection that is hard to generate in the ordinary going-ons and rhythms of busy family life. Is there something about presence that makes a real impact? And we feel that particularly during lockdowns, don't we? The lack of presence shows up that impact. Even outside of lockdowns, we, we feel that when we perhaps get in the presence of someone we look up to or perhaps someone who is famous or someone who is seen as important. We know the power of presence when we reconnect with someone that we haven't met in a while or someone returning from overseas. Presence matters. Presence makes an impact. In the presence of people, we're changed. That person builds us up and we get in their presence, we, we somehow get, get buoyed and, and, and we start to grow in confidence. If the presence of someone tears us down, we start to shrink. Presence makes a difference. And that is important to remember as we approach this passage we're going to be looking at today. This passage follows one of the most infamous moments in all of biblical history, the, the crafting, the worshipping, and then the drinking of the golden calf. And as we heard about last week, that picture of the golden calf is also a picture of your life and mine. So that idolatry is also uh, a type of our own idolatries today, uh, that we also participate in idol worship with them. That just as Israel had come out of Egypt, Egypt remained in them. And just as we have been set free from sin, forgiven, redeemed, sin still remains in us. And so the Israelites last week were, were left with this tension. 
And it's a tension that, in the same way, we too should feel. How could God's presence continue with them after all they've done? How could a holy God continue to dwell, be present with this unholy and sinful people? And that is a a tension that, that we should feel in our own lives. Perhaps you've felt that as we've been reading through the book of Exodus. How can a God like that, holy and righteous, dwell with a people like me? What does God's presence look like in our lives? We're going to explore that today. We're going to explore it through looking at what happened three and a half thousand years ago with Moses and the Israelites way back then. And so come with me, if you're not there already, to Exodus 33. Uh, We've got a lot of ground to cover today, Exodus 33 and 34. And so we're going to do it in three parts, looking at three particular things. The first I'd love for you to look with me at is God's presence and His presence. God's presence and His presence. Uh, By way of uh, context, in between last week's passage and this week's passage, uh, God tells Israel to get up and go. That they are now to be sent away from Mount Sinai. Uh, the, the, the place that they've come to see God's presence in a powerful way. He says that from now on, on their way to the promised land, and when they get there, he's not going to go with them anymore. In fact, it's going to be an angel that has to direct and guide them instead of God himself. And so this is a little bit like God's ethnic mum kind of moment where he is, uh, she is kind of you know, getting uh, the young adult who, who's sapping the resources of the parents up and out of the house. God, he is getting his firstborn son up out of the house because they have been so selfishly sapping their parents' resources and contributing nothing. They have sinned so grievously against the God who has rescued them and his holiness is so repulsed that they need to get up and they need to go. He is effectively putting them out on their own for their own good. And so the people, naturally, they freak out. They, they mourn and they grieve. And so pressure now is mounting on the middleman, Moses. God and his holiness on one side, the people and their sinfulness and their remorse on the other. And so Moses goes into the tent, into one last ditch effort to argue with God that he changes his mind, that he not leave his people, but rather he come with them. And so read with me in, in verse 13 of chapter 33, what argument Moses makes. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And then God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And so Moses makes the case that he and the people, hey, we've got a special relationship with you, God. You, you told us way back before we, when we just got here to the mountain that, that we are your special treasured possession. How can we be that if you're not with us? How can we be that if you don't go with us from now? You have got to come with us. And this interaction highlights something that is essential for our own relationship with God. Because notice what's happening here. God is telling Moses and the people, hey, you guys are going to go. 
You're going to go to the promised land being led by an angel. There you're, you're still going to be able to enjoy the promised land. There you're still going to defeat the enemies and take the land that is yours. There you're still going to have your own place and be able to finally put your feet up after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It's just that I'm not going to go with you. God is not going to be there. And so if you or I were Moses, we might be tempted to, to hear that arrangement hear that deal and think, you are telling me, God, that, that, that we get all the goods. We get all the things that we've been looking forward to. We get the, the land flowing with, with milk and honey, only it's just that, that you yourself are not going to be there. We might think, gee, that's too bad. And then off we go to, to go get our milk and honey. Off we go into the promised land. But what we see here is that, that Moses doesn't just want the promised land. He wants the presence of God. And that is a very important distinction because sometimes we can want the gifts of God. We can want the provision of God. We can want the fulfillment of the promises of God. We can want the presence of God, from God and we want them whether God is with us or not. We want them whether His presence is with us or not. That in our, our loneliness and our longing to find a, a life partner, our longing for a future family. Some of us sometimes get to the point in our Christian life where we just want that more than we want God to be in it or not. Or in our greed, we can, we can long for a, a more successful life, a bigger pay packet, a nicer house, a better car. And we're willing to sacrifice and make the demands to get it. But we'll make those sacrifices and one of the things we'll sacrifice is the presence of God with us in our own life. In our fear, we can long for comfort and safety and, and, and convenience. And to get it, to protect ourselves from discomfort, we're going to shield ourselves off from anything that might be difficult that God calls us to do because we want these things more than we want the God who's calling us. And so we pursue these things without pursuing the presence of God in our lives. But no one can serve two masters. The promised land won't be the land it promises to be without the God of the promises. For it to truly be the promised land, God needs to go with them. And your life will not be what you hope it to be. Filled with success and rich relationships and, and a full life without the God who promises us in the New Testament to be the God who wants to bring us abundant life. Because the abundant life is not a life filled with material possessions and, and stuff and influence and importance. No, the abundant life is where God is. The abundant life is a life with God in His presence, come what may. And so fundamental first to thinking about God's presence in our lives is the question, do we want God's presence in our life at all? Do we want God's presence more than just the fulfillment of His promises? Moses' answer to that question is yes. We need you to come with us, God. And God responds to Moses' plea positively. He, he agrees to what Moses asks. And in verse 17, the reason that he agrees is because I know you by name, he says. And that brings us to the second thing we're going to look at, God's presence and His glory. 
Because God tells Moses, I know you by name, is a pointer to the fact and the reality that we've seen already in Exodus that these guys have a special relationship. Moses and God have a, have a special connection. Unique in the relationships we've seen between a human and, and God to this point in the Bible. We read in, in verse 11, we won't go there now, but it says that when God spoke to Moses, they spoke to each other as if speaking to a friend. And so Moses holds an intimacy in God's eyes that we haven't seen before. And that leads Moses to ask something important next. Not only does he want God to go with them, he wants something even more. And so in verse 18, he says, God, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. Now, this is one of the things that makes this relationship so unique. And it's one of the things that makes Moses such an impressive figure throughout the story of Exodus. You know, Moses isn't impressive because of how charismatic he is or because of his charisma. Because we know already that he didn't have any. He self-reported back in Exodus 3 that that he couldn't even speak properly. He saw himself as a bit of a, a bumbling kind of fool. And so it wasn't charisma that makes Moses impressive. We know that Moses isn't impressive because of his leadership expertise, because we know back in Exodus 18 that his father-in-law actually had to come and kind of sort out the structure of the community for him. No, what makes Moses impressive is that he had a uniquely wide heart that pursued God and wanted to see his glory. Moses wants to be where God is. Moses wants to experience who God is. Moses wants God in a way that no one has been able to behold before. Moses wants to see into the very heart of God himself. And we know from the New Testament that a heart that has been born again and starts beating for God will, of course, want to be in God's presence. The heart of a Christian is one that that rests on, that relies on, that trusts in the person and work of Jesus. And in Jesus, we come into God's presence. But Moses here is going beyond a a typical passion for God. Moses is specifically speaking something that has been previously called the manifest presence of God. Moses isn't content to say, God, please show me your glory and have God reply to him. Moses, what are you talking about? I'm omniscient. I'm everywhere. Everything that I have made, my glory is in. My glory is displayed to everything through the heavens and the earth. Now, Moses is asking for something more profound, a powerful personal encounter with the living God. And so think about your own walk with God. Have you ever experienced a powerful personal encounter with God? There's a difference, isn't there, between hearing about someone and then getting to meet that someone and then even further being able to share a meal with that someone. There's a difference, isn't there, between hearing the, the taste of honey described to us and then feeling that honey drop on your taste buds. And so while the New Testament tells us that to be a Christian is to receive a new heart, the reality is that a lot of those of us who have a new heart aren't experiencing the intimacy with God that that new heart allows. We are alive to God and yet asleep, on life support. 
It's as if we live our Christian life kind of on autopilot, happy to live our lives out, and yet we only really press into God when there's lights on the dashboard that are flashing, when something goes wrong or something needs maintenance or something needs to change. But this episode that we're looking at in Exodus is a call to us that we as the church need to wake up, that Christians need to wake up. Pursuing the presence of God isn't this thing that's just reserved for special, unique individuals, nor should it be monopolized by kind of the kooky, charismatic end of the Christian movement. No. In fact, throughout all of church history, there's many examples of of gospel-centered, Bible is where we hear from God first kind of Christians pressing in and pursuing the presence of God. One such example is, uh, comes from a, a missionary called David Brainerd, uh, who in the 18th century uh, was a, a young missionary sent to the American Indians at the age of 25. And he suffered throughout much of his life with mental health issues and depression. Uh, and ultimately, tragically, he, he died young at 29. And so he was a missionary for just four years. And in that four years, he saw relatively little fruit. And yet since his death, his life has proved remarkably fruitful as he has spurred on thousands and thousands of missionaries to take up the call to head to other people groups and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And the reason that fruit has been born after his life is because his diary was published. His diary was published by one of his mentors. I hope that they asked permission. But his diary reveals all these intimate, personal encounters with God. There's some things about uh, natural life admin, and yet we also get a picture into what his relationship was like with God in private. One of those diary entries comes from the Lord's Day on October 19 in 1741, I think. David Brainerd wrote this. In the morning, I felt my soul hungering and thirsting after righteousness. While I was looking on the elements of the Lord's Supper and thinking that Jesus Christ was not set forth crucified before me, my soul was filled with light and love so that I was almost in an ecstasy. My body was so weak I could scarcely stand. I felt at the same time an exceeding tenderness and most fervent love toward all mankind so that my soul and all its power seemed, as it were, to melt into softness and sweetness. But during the communion, there was some abatement of this life and fervor. This love and joy cast out fear and my soul longed for perfect grace and glory. This frame continued till the evening when my soul was sweetly spiritual in secret duties. You know, I don't know if your diary reads like that. But one thing we can't argue with is the reality that there are people in the world, people who have had a heart made alive to God and yet through that heart, pressed in to God to experience Him in a profoundly personal and powerful way. And so it is with Moses. And so it is with David Brainerd and and many examples throughout history. They challenge us to consider, are we pursuing God in our lives? Are we pursuing the presence of God to encounter Him like this? And so whatever interruptions might result, whatever sacrifices might be required, do we want to experience God? 
in profound and powerful ways? Do we want to see his glory as Moses asks here? I mentioned earlier that I was on annual leave and part of uh, my leave, particularly in the the first week, I I, I took time to uh, just want to refresh my soul. And so part of that was uh, listening to and and watching uh, a few different sermons. And uh, one of the ones I watched was, was by a Scottish Minister, actually extended family of some of our City on a Hill Melbourneistas. Uh, big shout out to the Fergusons. I was, I was listening to a Sinclair Ferguson uh, sermon, uh, and he, he shared uh, the challenge that, that if, if a young man was to meet up with a young lady for an hour and, and really, really enjoy that time together, and perhaps both of them after that hour together thought, you know, I'd really love for this relationship to progress. I really liked him, and he's thinking, I, I really like her. You know what they wouldn't say? They wouldn't say. Hey, could, could we perhaps meet up for an hour at the same time next week? And then, and then we'll make a habit of that. They wouldn't say that because that's no way to progress a relationship, is it? The relationship isn't going to progress on just a scheduled one hour a week. And yet, that's exactly what you and I do in our relationship with God. That we think our relationship with God is going to progress based on the, the one hour that we give Him per week. Ferguson said later, if someone put us into a room with no distractions and said, I just want you to sit there and think about the Lord Jesus for five minutes. Many evangelical Christians in the Western world would find that an enormous trial because we don't know five minutes worth of the Lord Jesus. Do you? Do you know five minutes worth of the Lord Jesus? Have you seen who the Lord is? Have you seen and encountered what the Lord has done for you? And do you delight in what he has done for you? You see, what we think is the normal Christian life today, centuries ago, they saw that as the nominal Christian life. But we think it's normal because we are each other's barometer and we use each other as the same standard to give God what we give him today. But that means too, encouragingly, we can spur one another on to press in and pursue God all the more and pursue His glory in our lives. And so let's be awake. Let us awaken to the glory of God in the gospel and seek His presence in our own lives. In the story that we are looking at, God agrees to pass before Moses And so Moses put it out there, this audacious request, and God uh, agrees to do it and to show him his glory. And so he comes before Moses and tells him in in verse 19, "I'll, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And then he adds, and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so, yes, God will indeed show Moses his glory. But it's interesting, isn't it, that immediately after saying, yes, I'll show you my glory, God shows himself to be this free and sovereign God that he can show grace to who he wants to show grace to and show mercy to who he wants to show mercy to. That God has this glorious sovereignty, if you will, a power and authority that is completely above and beyond our influence. And ordinarily, if we've been paying attention through Exodus, that should paralyze us with fear as it did the Israelites. When they beheld God... At the base of the mountain, they shut it. Such was his holiness and his distinction. Perhaps you felt that 
as you've thought about yourself in light of this God. But for the Christian who has received a new heart, someone who has seen what God has done for them, someone who, because of that new heart, is, is trusting in God because of what he has done for us, well, this freedom that God declares is part of the basis of our confidence. Because later when Moses is going to give his last sermon to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, it's, it's a whole sermon to them, uh, he, he talks about why it is that God chose them. Why God chose to put his love upon them and to free them from Egypt and to be with them that they might be his treasured possession. And you know what the reason is that God loves them? It says in Deuteronomy 7, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's a bit circular, isn't it? God loves them because he loves them. And that's true of you and me too, in Jesus. That God loves you because he loves you. That in his sovereign freedom, in his having grace on who he wants to have grace on and having mercy on who he wants to have mercy on, if you are in Jesus, he has that on you. God loves you because he loves you. And so we have confidence in who God is and, and what he has done for us, not because circumstances in our life are going well, not because we're accruing some great religious points in, in tuning in online during lockdown 6.0. Oh man, if only people could see how religious we are. Not because we're, we're stronger than, than other people that we see in our lives and it feels like we've got our lives all together. No, we have confidence because of nothing that we bring to the table. We have confidence because of who God is and God's freedom and the glory that he holds within himself in using that freedom to love who he loves, to have mercy on who he has mercy, and to have grace on who he shows grace. And if you haven't earned it, then you can't unearn it. And so because of this reality, when we encounter that kind of grace, and when we encounter that kind of mercy, we have the empowerment all the more to seek that kind of God, to press in and to pursue His presence. That when we realize that God, because He's God, He loves us because He loves us, that He's given us grace because He wants to give us grace, we can press in to Him. And so let's finish talking about God's presence and our priorities. And so Moses and God make this meeting where God is going to pass before him and show him his glory. And so Moses makes his way back up Mount Sinai to behold God's glory. And he takes up with him, after God instructs him to, two new tablets of stone so that the Ten Commandments might be written on them again after they were destroyed in the golden calf incident. And God directs Moses, uh, because of the power of God's glory, that, that Moses is going to have to uh, be shielded as God passes before him. And so he, he tells Moses to, to kind of sit inside the cleft of a rock so he'll be covered as God passes by. And now you might have heard the hymn before, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. If you haven't, you will before the service is out. But it comes from this particular moment. And the author of that song isn't the only one who's kind of taking what's happening here in Exodus and showing us how it points to Jesus. It's a very biblical thing to do. If, you, if we 
look in the New Testament that this passage that we're looking at, this episode, is also talked about by the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a bit of a commentary on what Moses has, uh, after Moses has God passed before him, he, he receives the new tablets and he comes back down the mountain. And when he comes back down the mountain and, and he kind of introduces himself again to the people and says, hey, we haven't seen each other for, for so long, the people are afraid because Moses has changed. His face is shiny, emanating. God's glory is kind of rubbed off on him and his face is glowing because he's been in God's presence. And it says in Exodus 34, verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. And so because they were afraid to come near him, Moses puts a veil over his face whenever he leaves the presence of God and and, and leaves the tabernacle so that he doesn't scare the people. Now imagine that. God's glory is so powerful that even the, the residual shine of his glory on Moses' face is scary for the people to look at. And so, as I said, the the Apostle Paul takes this, takes what's happened here, and he applies it to us today. He says in, in 2 Corinthians 3 that in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we have lost the veil, that there is actually no barrier now between God's glory, the presence of God, and you and me. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, 16, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same Spirit, same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so Moses came down from God's presence, and he was changed. He shone. We too, when we come into God's presence, as we think on, as we trust in the work of Jesus, we change. We start to change into the image of Jesus himself. And so God is so committed to showing you grace and showing you mercy that even with cold hearts like ours, even with distracted lives like ours, even with mixed up priorities like ours, even with idolatrous affections like ours, God so wants us in his presence that he's pursued us in Jesus, that he actually came to us by coming in the person of Jesus, that he got so sick of us pursuing other things instead of pursuing the presence of God that he himself took it upon himself to pursue us in Jesus And he came and we know he lived a perfect life in our place. He died a sacrificial death for us, taking the punishment for our sin and our idolatry on his own shoulders. And then he rose victoriously as king over all his people and creation. And when we realize that, and when we see that, and when we think on that, and when we dwell on that, and when we reflect on what that means for us, we're changed. We are changed. We can come to God and receive forgiveness and hope and confidence and love. And yet, receiving all those things empowers us to pursue the presence of God all the more in our lives. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says later in the book of Ephesians. We should be pursuing God's work in our lives now as God pursued us in Jesus. And so, as we... Think about things that 
we might want to change in our life. Maybe we want to change parts of our character. Maybe we want to change some of our habits. Maybe we want to change our priorities. Certainly there are many hot tips out there that you probably should take some of that advice. And yet the only fun thing that is going to change uh, the fundamentals and we lasting is when we look to Jesus. Is when we center our lives upon Jesus. Is when we pursue Jesus. Is when we reflect on who Jesus is for us. As uh, 3.18 says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We need to see Jesus. Just so you know, this sums up essentially my whole ministry philosophy. The, the, the ministry philosophy of City on a Hill essentially is summed up here in 2 Corinthians 3.18. That every sermon that I uh, preach, the goal is to help you see Jesus. That every service that we run, the, the goal is to help you see Jesus. Every banner that we put up, every uh, kind of slick Bible reading video that we produce, every song that we sing, uh, every way that we seek to express hospitality and welcome and structure things well and be strategic in how we think about reaching our communities, it all exists to point to Jesus. Because if only we would see Jesus, things happen. That's where things start to change. And so this is where uh, I want to land today. I've talked a lot today about pursuing the presence of God. That we need to be people, that we don't just uh, trust in Jesus and, and then rest. But a trusting in Jesus is a, a points us or, or bends us to pursue, to pursue him. And so what you need most in your life right now is a moment with Jesus. What you need most in your life right now is to see Jesus and to behold him. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to sing in a moment. But before we do, I'm going to give you space. And you might want to use this space to, to pray however it is that you want to pray. But I want to encourage you to reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done for you, what, what, what he's brought you from, where he's taking you to, how he saw who you were and what you have done and yet came for you, how he has given you a, a new heart, a heart that might beat for him, how even we have a tendency like the disciples on the final night of Jesus' life to, to fall asleep to his presence still by his grace and his tenderness and his mercy to us. He, he, he wants to wake us up to him. And so would we be awake this morning, awake to God's presence today? And so I want you to uh, take this moment. I'm going to pray, but take this moment to pray for yourself as well. If you're not a Christian, perhaps take this moment to, to pray that the, the eyes of your heart, that the veil might be removed, that, that God might be able to uh, remove a veil that you might experience Jesus as he really is. And if you are a Christian today, then perhaps you want to pray that, that your eyes might be open, to be awake, that that grace and mercy that you loved at the moment you came to Jesus, may we love that all the more each and every day as we pursue him in our lives. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll leave space and then Steph's going to lead us in the rock of ages. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who will have grace on whom you'll have grace and you will show mercy to whom you will show mercy. And we thank you that in Jesus, you show us grace, you show us this mercy. Lord, we are undeserving. We are ill-deserving. Such are our priorities that we put you on 
the back burner, that so many other things are immediate and urgent and they take your place. Lord, forgive us for not pursuing you. Forgive us for, for, for falling asleep to pursuing your presence in our lives. And yet, Lord, we pray that right now might be a line in the sand moment, that right now might be a, a, a watershed moment for us to be awake. Lord, like Moses, we cry out, show us your glory. We ask that you would go with us in our lives. Lord, that you would be beside us, that we would know your presence, not just a a presence of your omniscience, but Lord, a presence of your closeness and intimacy with you that might empower us. Whatever trials we're going to face tomorrow and this week, whatever challenges we need your wisdom to speak into, whatever forgiveness we're going to need as we wake up tomorrow, Lord, would we continue to pursue you? Will we continue to press into you and uh, experience you in our lives? And so please come and do that right now. And please take our prayers and receive them in uh, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.